May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. A number of years ago, when we lived in Kentucky in this little neighborhood in the city of Mount Sterling, my wife and I were sitting on the porch, and the kids were playing in the front yard, and this little tabby cat came right up onto the porch. And um, she just kind of hung out right there around us. And, um, and, and Abby loves cats, but is fiercely allergic. And, um, you know, at that time, I wasn't really a cat person, but I was okay with it. You know, it was a cute little cat. And, um, and so Abby risked um, uh, swollen eyes and reached out and pet it, and I did too. And, and so it was just kind of hanging around, and we were petting it, scratching it behind its ear and whatnot. And then I decided to go in and, and get a can of tuna and open it and bring it out. And so I came outside and put this little can of tuna down, and this little cat devoured it. She just ate it all up, and, and then she was super happy and purring and rolling around and just hanging out and doing the thing, you know. And, and so we just uh, enjoyed this little time with this little cat and then went about our business and did our thing. And, and don't you know that she just kind of hung around all afternoon, and, and the next day she shows up again, and again the next day and the next. And... We decided to name her. Um, I lobbied heavily for Phoebe. Um, preachers literally like biblical names and ones that have an alliteration. So Phoebe the feline, I thought, really worked well. It sort of sounded good. And so Phoebe it was. Um, we, we dubbed her Phoebe, and um, I even went to the grocery and bought some more cat food. And she was hanging outside every day and put some cat food out. And, and then one day she didn't show up. After being around for you know weeks, she suddenly is gone. And she's gone for several days, and then she shows up again. And we kind of repeat this little process, and then she's gone, and then she's back, and then one day she's just gone altogether. And I wondered, what happened to our cat? <laughs> it was our cat. You know, I, I, I felt like we had some possession over this little feline. And, and yet um, it reminds me of another story, a story of two guys who lived on the same street. One lived down, you know, eight or ten houses from the other, and, um, and they were talking one day, and this one fellow is saying about his cat, how he had this old orange tomcat. And he was telling his friend about all the antics of this cat and the way he liked to chase birds and bring mice and leave them on the front step and all this sort of stuff, climb trees and whatnot. But that he would take off and be gone for days on end, and then he would show back up. And his friend who lived down the street said, you know, it's kind of odd because we have a little orange tomcat who also is just like that, you know, chases birds, brings mice, whatever. It turns out Carl the cat and Roscoe the cat were the same cat, you know. He just had two different families with which he lived. So, you know, one day he's at one and one day he's at another. Two cats, or one cat, two families, works out pretty good. Uh, dogs don't do that, do they? I mean, dogs are they're, they're, they're much more loyal, or whatever it is. Maybe they're, they're loyal to a fault. Uh, cats are just loyal to themselves. But I thought about while it's funny with cats, it's not funny with people. You know, Humans can't do this either. Because I remember another story, a third story, about a man who lived in a, a suburb of Columbus who had a family, children, job, in one city and a family and children in another city. And he kept this going on for years. It's funny with cats. It's not funny with humans, right? Or, I mean, imagine a, a little girl who, you know, is living at home and, and she moves in with the Petersons down the street, you know? And you can't do that. You have to remember where you belong, remember who you are, and maybe more importantly, whose you are. In ancient Israel, 
during the time of Jeremiah. It was a difficult time. This is um, the 6th century in the early part, the latter part of the 7th century B.C. Um, in that world, what we call the Middle East, it was a time of great um, turmoil and, and volatility. Uh, there was a lot of war, a lot of bloodshed, as there continues to be even to this day. But at that time, there were three superpowers. They were all sort of vying for control. And then you have little Judah, which is even the, it's, it's not even the whole Israel. It used to be there was Israel with 12 tribes. Now you just got one tribe, Judah, a little bit of the tribe of Benjamin still hanging on as well. But basically, the, the whole nation has been narrowed down to a twelfth of its former size. And there's little Judah right in the middle of all these superpowers, Egypt to the south. Um, Assyria to the north, uh, you've got Babylon to the east, and of course the Mediterranean Sea on the west. So you're, you're kind of sandwiched in, little Judah is, and its capital city, Jerusalem, between these, these three superpowers. And in the country of Judah, spirituality was in a really dark place. Um, people had turned away from God. Uh, had ceased to follow the Ten Commandments, were no longer living by um, the covenant that God had made with them, and, and things were looking very dark. And Jeremiah shows up as a preacher. That's what prophets are. They're preachers. And he shows up preaching. And nobody gives him an award for his preaching. They don't, they don't invite him to, you know, um, uh, pastors uh, monthly. Or anything. He's not, he, I don't know if there's, he's not well-liked in the, because his message is harsh. Listen to what he says. You don't have this in, in your... In your in, but here's what he says in chapter 5. He, he says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares and see if you can find a man. One who does justice and seeks truth. So that I may pardon the city. And though they say, or the people say, As the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. Go find a man, Jeremiah says, just one person who deals truthfully. In other words, no one does. It's, it's, it's corrupt through and through. And then he says this, he, he, he prays to God, O oh Lord, do, do not your eyes look for truth. You struck them down, but they feel no anguish. You have consumed them, yet they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to repent. This is the culture in which he lives, a culture that's thoroughly corrupt, a culture where people um, are worshiping false deities. They're even making child sacrifice, if you read through the pages of Jeremiah. They're even sacrificing their children to these false deities. They no longer keep the Ten Commandments. The rich are extorting the poor. Judges and politicians are taking bribes. They have no sense of, of morality within the community. Marriage vows are no longer kept, and violence is widespread. I mean, it sort of sounds like other cultures too, doesn't it? But this is supposed to be the people of God. This is supposed to be a country that is a, a theocracy, where God is king. And yet, this is what things are like. And so Jeremiah is preaching this message that God is aware of what's going on. And in fact, God is about to judge his people. There is going to be destruction Here's another vignette of a sermon from chapter 6. Thus says the Lord, Behold, a people is coming from the north country. Remember I said there are three superpowers and one is to the north? The other one is actually kind of to the north as well, but it is sort of northeast. A, a country, a, a great nation is stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. 
They lay hold on bow and javelin. Weapons, right? They are cruel and have no mercy. The sound of them is like a roaring sea. They ride on horses, set in array as a man for battle, against you, O daughter of Zion. We've heard a report of it. Our hands fall helpless. Anguish has taken hold of us. Pain is a woman in labor. Go not out into the field or walk in the road, for the enemy has a sword. Terror is on every side. O daughter of my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes. Make mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. This is not the kind of prophecy you want to hear if you happen to, you know, have a little shop in downtown Jerusalem. You know, you do not want to think that this is what your future holds. That there's an invading army on its way and they're about to destroy the nation. I mean, I don't know if you can kind of get your head around this. It's difficult for us to do because it's so far back, but it's really the same thing. I mean, just imagine the, uh, the sort of psychological terror that would take place if suddenly the Pentagon was destroyed and in the same day the Capitol and the White House and the National Cathedral was laid to waste. Imagine the sort of widespread panic that would go through our country if something like that were to happen. Imagine more than that, a preacher who dared to predict it before it happened. You're no patriot. You're a traitor. God loves us. We're the best. Yeah, this is Jeremiah's message. This is the message. And this is why he got thrown in prison all the time and beat up and, and all kinds of horrible things that happened to him. He's all this message is one after another of doom and destruction, of judgment, and God is out for us. He has our number. Our gig is up. Um, and then this. With all of this kind of message, we get chapter 33 today. This sweet little passage. This lovely little, listen to this. This is your, your lesson day. There's just three verses, right? 14, 15, 16. Maybe open them, look at it with me, will you? In your bulletin. The Old Testament lesson, Jeremiah 33. The prophet is speaking, and he's speaking for God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Just put a pen right there for one second. God made a promise to David. And his promise was this. David wanted to build a house for the Lord. Do you remember this? He wanted to build a temple. And God says, no, you're not going to build a house for me. This is 2 Samuel 7. You can look it up in your free time today. 2 Samuel 7. God says to David, you are not going to build a house for me, but I am going to build a house for you. I'm going to build a dynasty that will last forever. This is the promise. David, there will be a son of yours who will be king over Israel. How long? Forever. Now when Jeremiah brings up this promise, this is what people remember. Back to our, our text. Verse 15. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Behold, the days are coming. I will. This is a future prediction, isn't it? Doom, destruction, suffering, exile. But I'm going to come back. I will restore. 
I will remember the promise I made to David. Jeremiah is predicting the future and he's predicting a time when a righteous king will come back and establish righteousness in the land. Destruction is coming, but so too is restoration. So too is hope. Now I was trying to think how we can get our minds around our story and around Jeremiah's story. Because these are two kind of big stories. We find ourselves in the midst of this. In the midst of what Jeremiah had predicted. As Christians, we believe that God did send a righteous branch of David. His name is Jesus. But everything's not so cut and dry, right? I mean, where's the widespread righteousness? Where's the peace and security? Where's safety and and all that sort of thing? Well, I think in some ways, it has already happened. And in other ways, not yet. So the already and the not yet. And this is where we live. We live right in the middle of that. Between where it has begun to be fulfilled and where it has not yet been completed. So what has happened? That in Jesus Christ, God has reconstituted Israel. Israel has a new constitution. And we, who were not Israelis by birth, have been grafted in through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been made part of the Israel of God. We have been made to be part of God's people. And so that we are part of those promises. And because of that, we get all the benefits of that. We can live in righteousness in this life. You remember this quote from Mother Teresa where she says that holiness is not a luxury for the few, but it's the duty of us all. That God has created us to live holy lives and that we should live holy lives. That we can have A life that is pleasing to God in righteousness in the here and now. And we can have security in our souls. Security about our destiny in God. That we can, like St. Paul says, know that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other thing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God. We can know that right now. As David has come as king, or Jesus has come as the son of David, a king, that we can live into that righteousness. Already, we have been made children of the king. But there's the not yet part too, right? Not yet has has peace and righteousness spread across the world. Indeed, violence and oppression, um, injustice continue to thrive. In fact, we even struggle with the war within ourselves. Already, but not yet. In a lot of ways, it's like a pregnancy. <laughs> you know, you can't be a little bit pregnant. You either are or you're not, right? Um, but like a pregnancy, there's this moment where you get this um, result from a doctor, a physician, who says, you're going to have a baby. And maybe, and I don't know, I've never been pregnant, maybe you don't feel like you're pregnant, or maybe you do. And it, certainly at first, there's no evidence outwardly. But little by little, more and more signs come. Yes, a baby is coming. But you have to wait. You have to wait until it's time. That's where Advent finds us. Between the already and the not yet. Sort of pregnant with anticipation. Waiting. But while we're waiting, here's what I think is really important. Remember who you are. And even more importantly, 
Remember whose you are. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.